listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. We looked last week at relationships, and we talked about how to build strong, healthy relationships. And I want you to understand this, that in most lives that I encounter, people fail miserably in this area. Uh, Marriages are not what they need to be. Parent-child relationship is not what it needs to be. Employer-employee relationship is not what it needs to be. Friendships are not what they need to be. And in this area, to be honest with you, we are, we fail miserably. Even within the confines of the church, it, it, it appears to be so many relationships are shallow and superficial and not what they need to be. And, and, and just praying a moment ago and thinking about, you know, God, how to illustrate that. Let me, let me, let me say this. Relationships reveal a lot about you. Okay? Let me give you an example. When I get on the interstate, if there's nobody on the interstate, I mean the interstate is empty of every vehicle. And there's been rare occasions where I've gotten on the interstate on a Sunday morning. I mean it was just nothing on the interstate. No vehicles, no other drivers, nobody else. And it was just, it was just a free ride. I mean I could get on there and I could behave and act like I want to. I mean there was no other driver, no other vehicle on that road to inhibit or to affect me in any way. I was just free to drive, just drive the way I want to drive. If I wanted to drive over the line, if I wanted to, you know, I could do whatever I wanted to do. But put me in traffic. Put me with other drivers. Put me with other vehicles on the highway. And then all of a sudden, it begins to reveal some things about me. If there is another driver, and he's driving too fast, or he's tailgating my vehicle. Man, I don't like to be tailgated. Or he's passing and cutting in on me. Then all of a sudden it's going to see other drivers and other vehicles are now going to reveal something about my personality. They're going to begin to reveal maybe that I'm impatient, that I'm irritable, that I have an anger problem. You see, you and I need to understand something that in life we have to realize that sometimes relationships are revealing something not about the other person, but about me. And that's what we said last week. The first thing to build any relationship is for me to be honest about me, to ask the hard questions about myself. Now let's stand in honor of God's Word today because I want you to understand this. There are a lot of people in your life and in my life on the highway of our lives, okay? And they don't always behave very well, do they? You and I are involved in relationships where if we were honest, those people sometimes disappoint us, they hurt us, they're mean to us, they do things that disappoint us, and if we were honest, all of that sometimes reflects qualities about our own life about who we are. So let's take our Bibles today. And I want you to take, and what we're going to do, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 49, because I'm going to go a little bit different route today. Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 1.
Because last week we looked at this thing of being honest. Now everyone looked this way. I heard Adrian Rogers tell this story. I thought it was really, well, Sheila heard it and she was telling me. And, and we just both had a good laugh. She said that uh, Adrian Rogers was telling this story about a psychiatrist who had a woman come into his office. The woman came into his office and she had an egg on her head and a strip of bacon over each ear. And she came, sat down in the psychiatrist's office with his egg on her head and, two, and a strip of bacon over each ear. And she, looked at the, and she looked at the psychiatrist and she said, I'm here to talk to you about my brother. Think about that for a minute. You'll get it. You'll get it. You see, that's the way we are a lot of times. That's the way we are about relationships. We always think it's somebody else. We got our quirks. We got our difficulties. We've got our problems. We got things sometimes that are very evident to everybody else, but we're always trying to talk about somebody else. So today, again, it's all about who? It's about who? It's about who? Boy, that sounds bad. It's about who? It's about me. It's about me. Now I want you to look at Genesis chapter 49 because here we have Jacob coming to the end of his life. Last week we talked about the baggage or we talked about the deception of dishonesty. We said that the reality is that many relationships are not what they need to be because two people are not honest with one another. There needs to be truth in relationships. But if we, were, if we were honest right now, most of us in relationships, even in the courting and dating process, and this is the problem with marriage, is that we go through this dating process putting our best foot forward, trying to make the person believe we are something that we are not. And then we get into marriage, we get on the other side of the marriage, and we say, well, wait a minute, if I'd have known that about you, I would have never married you. And boy, those words hurt. Because we're going through this dating process and the truth is, is that both parties are being dishonest. The key to a healthy relationship is that there must be a level of honesty. Now look at, look at Genesis chapter 49 beginning at verse 1. Jacob, this great patriarch of the Old Testament has called his sons together and he is about to bless them just like he received the blessing from Isaac. Then Jacob called for his sons and he said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble, verse 2, and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Verse 3, here's the firstborn. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the, for, the, first, son, the first sign of my strength excelling in honor, excelling in power. But look at verse 4. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up unto your father's bed, unto my couch, and you defiled it. Now everybody look this way. He slept, Reuben slept, with a concubine, with, a, with a, an extension of the wife, the concubines of Jacob. Now, whatever you may believe about that, Reuben was dishonest and he deceived his father. So his father says to him, he says, listen, Reuben, you are as turbulent as water. You know what that means? Like water, you're unstable. Now, look, read a little bit farther. Let's see a little bit farther. Look at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers 
Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they, as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob. I will disperse them in Israel. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and we pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit will anoint your word. Lord, we ask you to do something that only you can do. For many in this room, dear Lord, have been bruised and beaten up by relationships. It may be apparent that has since gone on to be with the Lord or is burning in hell. It may be a, an, a, an authority figure that may have abused somebody. It may be a husband or a wife that is hurt and inflicted great pain. It may be a parent who is, who is alienated and ostracized from their own child. And they just simply don't know how to fix it. Dear Lord, we ask you today to allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and to help us understand who we are so that we can begin to build relationships that will last and will be healthy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The first blockade we said was this. It's the dishonesty or the deception of dishonesty. We said, as we said a moment ago, that there is a tendency in us when we enter into a relationship to in some ways be a little bit dishonest or misrepresent the truth. Now before we leave that blockade and move on to another blockade, there's a couple of things that I want you to hear here. Number one, truth is always a blessing. Now stay with me here. Truth is always a blessing. Last year in 2009, when I got to this passage in, in Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is calling his sons together, and he's about to pronounce a blessing on them, I'm reading this out loud in my devotion, and I read this account where Jacob looks at, at Reuben, and he says to his oldest son, he says, Son, you are as turbulent as water. You are unsettled. You're, you vacillate, you're unstable. He says, son, you're as turbulent as water. And I thought, wow, that's pretty bad. And then he came to Simeon and Levi, and he looked at Simeon, Simeon and Levi, and he said, you are sons of war, you're sons of the sword. He said, you're men that are driven by anger. He said, listen, I would not go into your tent for counsel. I would keep my distance from you. And when I read that, listen, let me tell you what I did. At that point, at that point, I almost closed my Bible and said, that's not a blessing. And there are those rare moments when you're reading the Word of God and you sense the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit and God said this to me as almost as clear to me as anything He's ever said. He said, truth is always a blessing. Okay, now you hang on to that. Because one of the blockades to, to building a healthy relationship is dishonesty. So we need to understand that truth is always a blessing. Why is it always a blessing in a relationship? 
Hear me because it has the potential to diagnose and correct the character flaws which are damaging the relationships that I'm involved in. You see, the problem is, and it may hurt, truth sometimes hurts. But I would rather have the truth that hurts and heals than a lie that comforts and kills. So here in a relationship, you and I need to understand something that when we enter into a relationship with anybody, husband and wife, child and parent, uh, uh, fellow worker, employee-employee, friendships, whatever that relationship is, hear me, there is an element of honesty that that person is going to bring into your life because God's going to use that to show you something about you and about me. You see, truth is always a blessing. But I can tell you where we, so, where we so often make the mistakes, we silence those voices of truth. We don't want to hear them. A woman, a, a woman is married to a man. She's try, she comes into that marriage. She loves him. She wants to serve him. She wants to submit to him. She wants to be a part of his life. And all of a sudden, she begins to see things in his character, in his nature, in his personality that are, that are listen, that are damaging that relationship. They are damaging the relationship that will one day be with the children. They are damaging the relationship between he and his God. And she starts to reveal those things and make them known and he blows up in anger and he says, I don't want to hear it. You knew what you got when you married me. And that, sir, is a lie because you were dishonest with her. And you know it. And the same is true of a woman with her husband, a husband with his wife. Hear me, hear me. Sometimes relationships are severed. Sometimes they break apart when the reality is is those people who love us the most are trying to tell us the truth and we don't want to hear it. Mom, Dad, just shut it up and leave me alone and let me live my life the way I want to live it. And we stumble and we flounder through life. And those character flaws, those idiosyncrasies, those personality quirks are never addressed. We never change and we're never happy. And we never build healthy relationships. And we flounder through life hurting. Why did, why did Jacob wait till he was getting ready to die to tell his children the truth? Hear me, stay with me, because sometimes the truth hurts. And hear me, stay with me. Sometimes the truth hurts so deep, even though it is honest, that it severs the relationship and it's over. 
I think this is why Jacob waited till he died. I think this is why he waited till he died to tell Jacob, I meant to tell Reuben, to tell Simeon and Levi the truth. Because here's the principle here, and stay with me here. Sometimes we may have to risk a relationship to tell somebody the truth. Hear me. You're looking at a man who's been in the ministry for 30 years. I've lost the fellowships of entire congregations. I've had congregations that afterwards the leadership of those congregations said, listen, we want you out of here. I've had men in my face telling me, you get your resume and you circulate it and you get out of here. And do you know why? Because you were telling that congregation the truth. And they didn't want to hear it. You see, sometimes we lose the fellowship of family. We, use the fellow, we lose the fellowship of friendships. We may lose the fellowship of a parishioner. We lose the fellowship of people because we have to, in all honesty, tell them the truth. Even in marriage sometimes, you are separated. You're not fellowshipping together because husband or wife has had to say, listen, this is what you do. This is what your mom and dad did. I've seen it for years. It is damaging and destroying our marriage and I just can't stand it anymore. And I know it hurts you, but it's the truth. And the fellowship is broken. You see, we don't like to hear things about us that may be true, but they hurt too deep. You know, I wrote down here, there's a caution here, and boy, there is. There are those who see themselves as policemen of truth. Do you know those? They go around with a baton in the hand. They run around beating people with the truth. They're spiritual Nazis. They're splinter, what I call splinter brigades. They are the splinter and the beam kind of people. Hey, do you know what I'm talking about? There's some people that go around and they see, they see the splinter in everybody else's eye. They're walking around with a baton and they're beating you over the head and telling you the truth and telling you the truth and running over here telling you the truth. And sometimes those people want to put a mirror up and say, hey, why don't you take a look at the beam in your own eye? I love what Paul said in Ephesians. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.15. Paul said, listen, you and I are to speak the truth in love. I'm afraid that sometimes we see qualities in relationships and the people that we love and the people that are in those relationships, we see qualities in their life that in all honesty are in our life. We don't like them and we see them in somebody else. This is why we see splinters when we have beams. And this is what Christ was saying. And if there is to be, if there is to be those healthy, vibrant relationships, then it comes to the point that I stand in the mirror and I sing that old Negro spiritual that said, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, that is standing in the need of prayer. God, I don't need to fix anybody else. I need to fix me. God, I need to stand in front of the Word of God intimately and in communion with God through prayer and through the Word of God, which is like a mirror that's lifting up in front of me and is revealing all the things about me that need to change. Wow. 
that second blockade. I almost don't even want to deal with it. I almost want to stop. That second blockade is what I call the burden of bitterness. It's not only the deception of dishonesty, but there is that burden of bitterness. I want you to take your Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. We're talking about those things that keep us from building Healthy, strong relationships. Hear me. Everybody look this way. Just stop what you're doing and listen for a minute. I want you to have the kind of marriage, the kind of relationship with your children, the kind of relationship with your grandchildren, the kind of relationship with your neighbors and your friends, your employees, your employer. I want you to have the kind of relationships that God intended for you to have. This is what I would love to see. So here we have not only the deception of dishonesty, this second blockade, what I call the burden of bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, watch what Paul said here. If Paul wrote it, or Apollos, or Barnabas, whoever wrote it, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Does that mean my husband? Yes. Does that mean my employer? Yes. Does that mean my neighbor who I consider to be my enemy? That means yes. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Notice how verse 14, that holiness and relationships are intertwined. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Hear me, you cannot do verse 14 without understanding verse 15, but look at what he says in verse 14. He says, make every effort to live in peace. In the New Living Translation, it says, work at living in peace. Everyone look this way. Relationships require work. They require work. They require an investment of your time. They require an investment of your resources. They require this gut-wrenching process of building a relationship. No marriage just naturally just flows along with this loving uh, goosebump, sugar booger kind of feeling that you get. That, oh, we just, we just love each other so much. My friends, sooner or later, that begins to wane and the real test of the marriage and the relationship now becomes critical. And it requires an enormous amount of work. Every relationship, marriage, children, parent, church, job, everything requires that I've got to work at it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And hear me, Dad, if it comes to parenting that child, you can't delegate that relationship to somebody else. If it comes to the spiritual well-being of your family, you can't delegate that to the pastor, to the staff, and to the Sunday school teacher. That is your responsibility. So there's not only the deception of dishonesty, there is the burden of bitterness. The word bitter is the word pikros in the Greek. It means sticky anger. The picture is that bitterness is like an acid. It's like a highly caustic, 
caustic acid and it, and, it, and it can sit and simmer in our lives. And bitterness has the ability here, and this is what the writer is saying, of undermining every relationship that, I've inv- that I'm involved in. In other words, bitterness is anger and hurt that goes underground. It may be an authority figure who was abusive. It may be something in your past that you carry that you had no recourse. You could not vent. You could not get angry. You could not express that anger. And so that anger and that hurt was shoved down inside of you. And there it sits like an acid. I remember going to a pastor in in Africa. I came to his door... And I, of course, they didn't really have doors. It was a hut. And as you would approach coming up through the, through, toward those African homes, you'd say, go, go, go. Take a few steps, go, go, go. And you'd listen for that word that said, pindai, pindai, go, 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 pindai. And that go, go, go meant knock, knock, knock. And then I heard that pastor say, Pindai! And I came to that door. And I said, Pumsoro Baba. And he came to the door. I did not know him. I said, I said, Mufundis, what has happened to you? He was broken out from... From head, Lauren, you may know more about this than I do. I've not asked Amy. He was broken out from head to toe with these whelps and these things all over him. He just looked almost grotesque. And I said, what happened? He said, I had a tooth pulled and it was, I guess it had a lot of poison in it. I don't know what it was. But anyway, it had spread throughout his entire body and it had just literally twisted and conformed and, and his face even just caused me to have pain. My friend, that's bitterness. When you and I have been hurt in a relationship, when somebody has brought damage into our life, when we have been angry about something and we refuse to come to terms with that, then what happens is, is we shove that stuff down inside and it is like an acid. It begins to eat away at, at us and at everybody around us. A woman came to me one time, she said, when I first came here, she said, I am so tired of these sermons on bitterness and unforgiveness. And the word bitter means sticky anger. She said, I'm so tired of hearing this. I wish you would move on to something else. But then that woman later came to me later on and she said, Brother Jeff, I understand why you was preaching to that. That's the problem in my life. You see, some in this room cannot build a healthy, strong relationship because you have been hurt, you have been scarred by a relationship in the past, and you can't let go of it, you can't put it behind you. It may be something that your own spouse has done to you. You just can't let go of it. And it just eats away and destroys everything around you. The burden of bitterness. Now, real quickly... How do you fix it? How do you fix it? I want you to take your Bibles real quickly, take a left and go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Now again, we're talking about, we're talking about blockades to building a strong, strong, healthy relationships. Number one blockade, the deception of dishonesty. Number two, the baggage of bitterness. Now what do I do when I have been hurt, when I have been 
wounded in a relationship or something in my past, how do I get rid of this? How do I deal with this? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Paul said this. He said, therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Wow, there it is again. Relationships are built on honesty. Paul said, listen, therefore, each one of you put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. And watch this, verse 26, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the enemy, you're the devil, a foothold. Okay, now in the King James, it's interesting here, the King James says, be angry. It's in the imperative. It's commanded. Hear me. There are some things in our life, in your life, in my life that ought to make us angry. You can tell a lot about a man's character by what makes him angry. You can tell a lot about a man or a woman's character by what causes them to laugh. Here the Bible says be angry. Some have convinced themselves that anger is an unchristian response. That is not true. If you look at John chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, Jesus went into the temple, and I've told you this many times, and turned over tables that, the, that the, uh, the merchants were using in the temple that weighed as much as this piano. He was angry. The Bible said that he braided a whip, and he began to beat and drive them out of the, and drive them out of the temple. Anger is an appropriate, biblical, Christian response. And hear me, the Bible commands you and I sometimes to be angry. I was up at Delta State after 9-11, preaching to about 200 BSU students. They had the largest, probably the largest BSU gathering they had ever had. Not because I was there, but because of 9-11. As I began to, to begin to speak to them, it became apparent to me that a lot of them were struggling with anger. And finally, I looked at them and said, because some of them were asking, what do we do? We're Christians. How are we supposed to feel? I said, you're supposed to feel angry. 3,000 innocent people lost their lives. You have every right to be angry. But be very, very careful in how you express that anger. Had a young man, a young man and woman, I was counseling, premarital counseling, we've got to close in a moment. Young man and woman that I was counseling with and premarital counseling and just going through it and he asked me a question I thought it was kind of funny. He said, because um, we were talking about being a man, just being a man. He said, you know, Brother Jeff, somebody breaks into my house. He said, what do I do? I said, you protect your family. You do whatever you have to do. I looked at him and I said, let me say this. I will not tolerate disrespect around my wife. A man that disrespects my wife and uses inappropriate language and my wife's in the company, I will call him down. I do get angry. Sheila and I were watching, we went to the movies Friday afternoon. The previews, one of the, one of the uh, advertisers was using, I know that you've seen it, with the little, little baby boys 
You've seen the commercial with the little babies, the little boys, the little toddlers sitting in their high chairs, and they're doing this stuff where they're using their, their lip movement, but they're giving uh, like an adult. It's not funny to me at all. Because in the theater where I was at, those little boys, those little babies, 18 months, 2 years of age, were, being, were giving sexual connotations and sexual innuendos over and over again, and I was getting madder by the minute. I thought the audacity of this nation and corporate giants to use a 2-year-old child to make sexual innuendos and jokes and think it's funny. I don't think it's funny at all. But I'm not bitter. Bitterness comes when you don't express anger. And you let it seep down into your soul and take possession of your life. In the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says of verse 26, it said, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold for the devil. In other words, what he's saying here is, first of all, don't sin by letting anger control you. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, which means I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. I can be angry about something, but it's dangerous when I allow that anger to control me. Because if the anger is controlling me, that means that the Holy Spirit is not. And that's sin. Secondly, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? Because slept on anger will lead to bitterness. Hear me. Sheila and I have been up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Work at it. Don't go to bed angry. My grandmother pulled us off to the side. I remember her telling us that. She said two things. She said, doll baby, come here. Sitting on that vinyl couch, that little arthritic figure. She looked at Sheila and I, she said, listen, two things. She says, have your children while you're young and have them together. We did that. She said, number two, listen, don't go to bed angry. Well, man, we've stayed up two, three, or four o'clock in the morning. You see, because bitterness comes when you and I sleep on anger. And so the Bible says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Number three, it says, for anger gives a foothold for the devil. Your enemy will destroy relationships because once anger and hurt goes underground, it begins to break and tear down everything around us. You'll never find the Bible telling you to sleep on it. Never. In Matthew 18, Jesus said this, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. He said, if there's a difference between you and your brother, go to your brother. Don't give up until it's handled. Because anger left unattended will lead to bitterness, and bitterness is contagious. He says in chapter 12, verse 15 in, in Hebrews, he says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the, the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Now listen to this, and will corrupt many. You see, when I become bitter, when I'm hurt, when I've been damaged, listen, it, if I don't deal with that, if I don't come to terms with that, it will affect every relationship of every person that I'm involved with. And I've got to close, but stay with me. 
There are people in this room that have been hurt in the past and you have got to somehow let go of it. Because I can tell you what it's doing. You are like the old Roman death sentence. In a Roman death sentence, you know what they would do? I've shared this with you before. If a man was convicted of a murder, they took the person that had been murdered, they tied the person who had been, they tied the corpse to the man who had committed the crime. They put that corpse on the man that was healthy and they let that corpse and the maggots and the disease of that dead body eat into the life of that man who had committed the murder. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's some people in this room right now. You need to let go of the hurt and the pain of what somebody has done to you in the past so that you can live your life because right now it is diseasing and destroying your body and everybody else around you. What do you do? You say, I refuse to allow this hurt, this anger to control my life. I refuse to allow this hurt and anger to dictate my emotions and future relationships. I refuse to be a prisoner to the pains and the hurts of my past. I refuse to live like that any longer. I want to let go of it. Now listen to this because the enemy does not want me to say this. Prejudice is a form of hatred and it culminates in bitterness And any man, listen to this, black or white, listen, tell your neighbors about it. And any man who says he loves God and hates his brother, the Bible says he dwells in darkness. I will not, and anyone who knows me, check me on this. I will not tolerate racial bigotry in any form, white, black, black, white, it makes no difference to me. Yet there are those in this nation who are feeding a steady diet of racial hatred to this younger generation and they are threatening it morally and ethically and it is wrong. Prejudice is never, is never, is never justified. I don't care who it is. It's not right white on black. It is not right black on white. It is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong. And if the music and Hollywood and the movie industry wants to continue to feed this country on a diet of prejudice and hatred and racial irreconciliation, then my friend, we are undermining the very framework of this country. We are doing horrible damage. And as Martin Luther King, and I I agree with him 100%, and I long for the day when a man is not judged by the color of his skin but by his character. And that goes black and white. There is a seed of bitterness in our land that I believe is threatening the very framework of this nation. And it has to stop. It has to stop. Let's pray. Marriages are falling apart.
almost every other marriage ends in divorce. Almost half the marriages in this country. Children, dear Lord, are rebelling. The number one killer, or not the number one killer, but one of the top four killers of teenagers today is suicide. Parents are struggling to hang on to children. Children are throwing off the restraints of the authority of parents at younger and younger ages. There's a battle that is raging today in the land for the soul of America. There's a seething bitterness today and anger and hostility that must cease. Lord, may we be men and women, black or white, that when we hear prejudice, if it's in the lyrics of a song, if it's in the rap of the music, if it's in the movies of Hollywood, May we be men and women of such integrity and character that some things would begin to make us angry. May we say it's time to put this away. It's time to to be men and women of God. And so, Father, I pray today that the power of Your Holy Spirit would grip every life in this room. There's some in this room that, dear Lord, are separated from family because that family tried to tell them the truth. They need to be reconciled. There's some in this room in which marriages are splintered and the fellowship is not there because there needs to be honesty. There needs to be truth. People need to listen to each other. There are people in this room today, dear Lord, that have been hurt. And they are still angry. And that anger controls their life. Their their spirit is bitter and sour. They've lost the joy of their salvation. And they need to be set free. I pray today, dear Lord, that we would throw off the baggage of the burden of bitterness, that we would throw off the baggage of the deception of dishonesty and say, Lord, here here am I. Heal me. Heal me, Lord. Heal me. And we just praise You, Lord. If there's one here that doesn't know You, that they'll come and give their heart and their life to You today and begin to serve You pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'm preaching with everything in me. I don't like this series. I don't want to preach it. I walked out of here last Sunday and I went to my office and said, thank God it's over with. Last week's sermon. I'll do it again today. But I'm telling you this much. There are a lot of unhappy people in this world. Most people today, you look at them, they don't look happy anymore. You don't see the joy in their countenance. What I share with you, I believe is the burden of God. God wants you to be free today so that you can live life. And as the song says, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Life's a lot of fun. Marriage is a, listen, marriage is a lot of fun. Man, if if Sheila dies, you go ahead and just go ahead and shoot me. 
I'm telling you, it's been a, it's been a great third. Have there been trials and difficulties? Yes. But it's been worth it. We're having a great time. Parents, I love my kids. I love them. Has it always been easy? No, they're hard-headed. Listen, they're hard-headed. They're strong-willed. They're stubborn. But love never fails. Life is fun. Life is a joy. And He wants you to live it. He wants you to love your husbands and your wives. He wants you to love your children and pull them up close. He wants you to have fun in life. He wants you to enjoy this life. He doesn't want you to live it with your countenance sad and your heart broken. God set us free. 